Good morning, Sugar Creek family. It is a joy to worship with you guys this morning. Whether you're watching online or you're here in the room at the Sugarland campus, oh, welcome to this service. My name is Ender Palencia, and I have the joy, the undeserved privilege of serving as the missions pastor here at Sugar Creek. And uh, I pray that God speaks to your heart this morning. I've been given the task to speak the word of God to you guys this morning. But before we dive into the message, I do want us to pause and pray for our pastor, Pastor Mark, and his wife, Miss Kathy. They're going through a pretty difficult time right now. Unfortunately, Miss Kathy's father uh, passed away this past week, and this happened very rapidly, very unexpected. So uh, please be in prayer uh, for them. Uh, if you remember, her mom passed away just about six months ago, and now her father just passed away uh, on Wednesday or Thursday. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and pause right now, pray for them, and then we'll dive into the message after this. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for the mercy you've shown us, the grace you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ, who died on our cross so that we could have hope. And God, we thank you that Mr. Billy, Miss Kathy's father, had this hope. And because of that, he's in your presence right now. God, we pray that that hope, the, the hope of the gospel can come for Miss Kathy and Pastor Mark. And God, I, I pray that you use Pastor Mark to bring that hope to the rest of the family right now so that they can be comforted. And God, I pray also that that truth, the truth of the gospel shapes our lives here on this earth and prepares us so that when we are with you for eternity. I pray for today's message that it does the exact same thing, that it shapes us and helps us become who you want us to become for your glory, Father. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> you know, in moments like this, we remember that we're not invincible. We remember that we have fragile bodies and uh, the smallest thing that is wrong with our bodies, if not taken care of, it can be detrimental. It can be really, uh, really bad for us. Uh, a few decades ago, uh, doctors and researchers discovered a congenital heart disease called Tetralogy of Fallot. And Tetralogy of Fallot is also known as the Blue Baby Syndrome. And basically, babies that are born with this condition, uh, uh, the, the condition affects four different parts of the heart. So babies that are born with this condition, uh, they don't get enough oxygen in their bodies, and therefore, they can turn bluish or purple in color, hence the name Blue Baby Syndrome. And uh, for many, many years, uh, this situation, babies who were born with this condition didn't have much hope. Uh, doctors kind of knew what the problem was, but no one up to that point had uh, open, uh, or performed open heart surgery on a baby before, and therefore they didn't know how to fix it. And, and babies that were born with this condition, therefore, were, were basically destined to pass away at a very early age and not experience a good and healthy life. Until the 1940s, when a man by the name of Dr. Blacklock, and uh, really his assistant, a, a brilliant man with a great story, his name is Vivian Thomas. These two men began to per perform experimental surgery, first on dogs, to try to discover the problem, and they eventually found it and found a potential solution for it, and then they move on to babies. And the story goes that the, the second baby they performed surgery on went into the operating room literally blue on the outside. And before the surgery was over, he, he was back to a normal color of skin. 
And from that moment on, everything changed for babies that were born with this condition. From that moment on, we knew there was a solution for it. From that moment on, it was no longer a hopeless situation. A surgery could repair the issue, and this baby could live better and healthier lives. And I tell you all of this because I, I believe all of us uh, who are listening today have a heart problem that God wants to treat uh, today. All of us are, are born with a heart condition that God wants to fix if we're willing to let him do that. I'm not, I'm not speaking about a physical condition here. I'm talking about a spiritual condition in our heart. And the symptom is not necessarily that we're turning blue. The symptom, the main symptom that shows that we have a problem in our heart is the fact that we, we have a, a difficult time having healthy relationships with other people. But again, God today wasn't, wants to not just bring to our attention the problem, but he also wants to bring a potential solution to us so that we let him fix our heart and so that we can live the life that he wants us to live. We're in the middle of a sermon series called The Love Challenge. And what we're doing is we're studying what is known as the love chapter, which is First Corinthians chapter 13. And in First Corinthians chapter 13, Paul describes what he himself called a better way to live. And, and he says that there, there is a much better way to live. And this better way to live is by loving other people the way God loves us. And through this series, we have been challenged to be more patient. We have been challenged to be kind. We, we have been challenged to, to not be prideful, but rather uh, to be humble. And today, there is another heart problem. Again, a, a condition that God wants to bring to our attention and repair if we let him. The condition is found in one little word found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, specifically in verse 5. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 so we can see the description of love. But there is one little word there that reveals the problem that God wants to address today in our heart. Look at what it says in verse 4 and 5. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. The problem that God wants to address in our heart today is found in that one little word there at the beginning of verse 5 is the word rude. I believe all of us in, uh, in this room and all of us watching online, we have a, a, an issue and, and it is that we, we have a tendency to act rudely towards other people. And, and I know when I say that, there might be some of you who immediately think, Ender, you might be talking about somebody else, but not me. I'm a nice person. You might be talking about my neighbor, that person, he is a jerk. I'm an, he is rude, not me. Or you might be talking about my coworker, or you might be talking about my teenage son or daughter, or you might be talking about my mom and dad. They're rude, but not me. But before you say that, I, or you think that I'm speaking to somebody else and not you, allow me to explain to you what this word means so that you see that all of us human beings struggle with this. The word rude in the Greek, which is the original language in which the letter was written, is the word eskamoneo. And, and that word eskamoneo can also be translated as to act unbecomingly or to act uncomely, which means to act in a way that is not nice to look at. In other words, to act in a way that is not pleasant to the eye, to act in a way that is simply not okay. I'll bet the vast majority of us, all of us, have acted in a way that is not nice to look at a time or two. 
In fact, I'll venture to say that all of us struggle with this continuously. It is something that we are born with and it's something that we struggle with till the day we die. We're born with this issue. If you don't believe me, then all you have to do is look at a child. See, God has blessed my wife and I with three precious children. And I happen to think that my three precious children are the most precious children in the world. But even though my three precious children are absolutely beautiful in my eyes, my three precious children have all been two years old at one time. And if you've had a two-year-old, you know how terrible the terrible twos are, right? They, for some reason, they just throw tantrums trying to demand what they want and what their heart is telling them that they need. And I guarantee you, no one in our house showed our children that behavior. It was natural to them. And I wish I could tell you it stop when they turn three years old, but the truth of the matter is that it doesn't. I think it gets worse. And we continue to struggle with this for the rest of our lives because inside of us, there is this desire to, to, to want to demand the things that we want when we want them, the way we want them. And if we don't get what we want when we want it the way we want it, then we fight back in some way or another until we get it. And what that's doing is it's just kind of destroying relationships all around us. I see it in marriages. I see it in relationships between parents or children. I see it in, in, in the workplace. It's just happening everywhere. All you have to do is look at social media for two minutes and you see how we're being rude to one another. As a pastor, sometimes I have the privilege of walking uh, couples and marriages through conflict sometimes. And, and sometimes I, I get a couple that I know they love each other. They've been married for years. They've had children together. And, and they just absolutely love each other, right? But I know they're, they, they, that at that particular moment in time, they're frustrated with one another. And we sit down and we start talking and it doesn't fail. Somebody starts and go, well, she's not doing this or this or that. And that's why we're having this issue. And she goes, well, I'm not doing this or this or that because you're not doing this or this or that. And he goes, well, I'm not doing this or this or that until you do that thing. And then what you have is two people that love each other, but, but they also love themselves. And because they love themselves, they're pulling in their own direction and they're trying to get what they want. And, and instead of get, getting closer together, they're actually growing farther apart. And if you, you know that if it's happening in a marriage between two people who have made a commitment to love each other unconditionally, it's definitely going to happen with other people as well. And so what we have in our world going on today is just a bunch of people who want to get what they want, the way they want it, how they want it. And if they don't get it, they're just being not nice to one another. They're acting rudely. And for some people, it might be throwing a tantrum. Some might have grown out of that, although some 42 years old are still throwing tantrums. But for some people, it might be different. And for some people, it might be you just take on social media and you let people have it through social media. And maybe for some of you, it might be, no, I'm just, I'm not gonna be uh, disrespectful to this person uh, uh, with my words. I'm simply not gonna talk to that person anymore. And you give them the silent treatment because they simply don't deserve you talking to them. And maybe you do talk to them or you don't do the stuff on social media, but what you do is you talk to them, but you go behind their back and you, you tell other people how wrong they are and how right you are. 
In whatever way you choose to cope with that conflict and, and with that disagreement, most likely it's going to be in a rude way. It's going to be something that is not nice to look at. And we're all struggling with this. And it's destroying relationships everywhere. And God wants to bring that problem to our attention today. And not just bring the problem to our attention, but also offer a potential solution for us. And that's why Paul, through this chapter, explains to us that there is a better way to live. And he says the better way to live is by loving other people with agape kind of love. With an unconditional kind of love. And the love that is described here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, a, is defined by, by a pastor this way. Pastor Chip Ingram says this, to love somebody is giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. Think about that definition for a moment. Because this is completely contrary to what we are wired to think. We're wired to think that we're to get what we want, and if we don't get it, we're to fight back. But what the Word of God teaches is that's not what God did with us. He actually gave us what we needed most when we deserved the least at great personal cost. And that's how we are to love other people. And I wonder, when I sit in those uh, conversations with those marriages, what would happen if you stop demanding what you want and what you need and you start giving the other person what they want and what they need? And I wonder the same thing in our world today. What would happen if us, the church of Jesus Christ, believers of the gospel, stop demanding what we think that we need and what we think we want and what we deserve and we start giving other people what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost? I think we would have a completely different world today. And that's where our call is as Christians. It's not to be rude and to demand what we want, but to give the other person what they need. And you know what all of us human beings need? You know what we're hungry for? The opposite of rudeness, which is respect. We all want to be respected. When we're not respected, we get mad and frustrated and we become rude. So what if instead of being rude and demanding respect, we start giving respect to other people? Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, love must be sincere. And then he says, respect one another. Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, show respect to everyone. The word respect is the word timao in the Greek, which means to honor somebody or to treat somebody with dignity. And the word everyone is the word pantas in the Greek, which means all people. So we're to respect not just the people we like, not just the people that think like us and act like us, but all people. It means Republicans and Democrats and Independents. It means our children, it means our parents, and even our in-laws. It means all people. It means even the guy who's going to be screaming at the television tonight, watching the Super Bowl the entire time tonight. It means absolutely everyone. We are to show respect to everyone. But this is not easy, is it? It's hard. Because again, we want what we want. It's hard for us to give somebody what they need the most when they deserve it the least. It's hard for us to sacrifice for another person. That's why we need to let the word of God operate in our hearts and fix the issue that we have. Because it's a hard condition, it's a hard problem. 
So what I want us to do the, the last, uh, rest of the time that we have together is take a systematic look at the scriptures and, and let scriptures tell us how to improve in giving and getting respect. I, I want the word of God to teach us how, how to improve in these two things, in giving and getting respect. And when you look at scriptures, you see that the first thing that needs to happen for, for you to be able to give the respect that other people desperately need is that you need to develop a God view of people. See, we tend to focus on what makes us different. We tend to uh, uh, look at people and, and, and maybe the, the color of their skin or maybe the way they dress or, or, or maybe how much money they have or don't have or maybe how much education they have or don't have. And we tend to focus on, on, on the language they speak and on what kind of accent they have. And we look at these things and, and we kind of make assumptions on our head based on what we see. And our brains, for some reason, have taught us that our way is the right way other people's way is the wrong way. And when you think you're right and other people are wrong constantly, then you're gonna get to a point where you're gonna think that you're, because you're right and they're wrong, then you are better than they are. And if you think that you're better than other people, then you're never gonna show them the respect that you are called to show them. But see, when we look at scriptures, we see from the beginning to the end, that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being. And we're to value and take care of life from the womb all the way to the tomb. That's our call as believers of the gospel. Look at what this, the book of Psalms says about uh, human life. In Psalms chapter 8, verse 5 says this, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him, he's talking about human beings, not just a guy in particular, with glory and honor. God has made human beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is God's creation and it is to be treated accordingly. Until we understand that, we're not going to be able to have the healthy relationships that we long for and that God wants us to have. We have to be able to see humans for what they are, what they are God's beautiful and precious creation. A few months ago, my wife and I were praying about coming to this church and being a part of this staff. And we were talking to Pastor Mark and, and, and praying about the position and we were considering, and, and one of the things that we did is we came to worship here on a Sunday morning. I'm gonna tell you that one of the first things that got our attention that actually eventually drew us here was how amazingly diverse this church is. It was beautiful. I mean, we walked through the, the doors and in this building we saw people different skin colors. We saw people wearing different attires. We heard different accents. We heard different languages. We saw people who looked different than us and everybody was treated with the same respect and with the same love. And we said, this is amazing. We wanted our children to grow up in this kind of environment because it shows us that this church loves people the way God calls us to. It shows us that, that this church values uh, people not based on the outside, but based on who they are as uh, the perfect creation uh, from God. And it's just beautiful. It attracted us to this congregation. And as the body of Jesus Christ, we 
as part of this church and as part of the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to take that kind of respect outside the walls of this church as well, into our neighborhoods and to our workplaces and to the gym where we work out, and, and to the playground where our children play, and to the school that we go to, and all these places we are to tra- treat others with respect. Because you know what? How we treat others shows what's going on in our heart. See, your outward respect reveals your inward condition. When doctors saw blue babies, They knew that was an external sign of an internal problem. They knew that something inside that baby needed to be repaired. And the same is true for us. How we treat other people shows what's going on in our heart. How we treat others tells them something about our relationship with God. Because if if we don't know how to relate to God's creation, then how are we gonna relate to the creator? So our, how we treat other people says something about our relationship with God. I want you to see what the Apostle John said in John, First John, actually, chapter 4, verse 8. He said this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He goes on to say, you cannot say that you love somebody who you have seen and, and you, you love God who you haven't seen and then not love somebody who you have seen. That's what he says. So how we treat other people informs them and informs us about our relationship with God. In fact, how we treat others tells them something about our spiritual maturity. See, if you treat other people with this respect, there is something going on in your heart that needs to be addressed. There is something in our hearts that needs to be fixed. There is a heart problem that needs to be addressed. And this is, again, not just for the ones we like, it's for absolutely everyone. In Luke chapter six, Jesus challenged us to love not just, again, the ones who love us, but even our enemy. And he said that we have to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. That we have to practice mercy with other people. That we have to be kind to others. Now, does that mean that we have to just simply let people run over us and do whatever they want with us and disrespect us all the time and we all the time uh, just take it in and never speak truth into those people's lives? No, that's not what it means. It definitely doesn't mean that we're to take in abuse and things like that. that. That's not what it means. But it does mean that we have to learn how to speak truth with grace. That we have to develop the art of tact. Tactfulness is saying the right thing at the right time. So when you look at Jesus' ministry, you see that Jesus had this perfect balance between truth and grace. An example of this is a woman who was caught in adultery. And all the religious leaders, all these men, they were ready to stone her to death because of her sin. And they were ready to just cast stones at her because the law said that if, she, if she's found doing that, then she is supposed to die. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus got on his knees and started writing on the ground. Nobody knows exactly what he wrote. Some people say he was probably writing a list of sins that all these guys had committed. And then he said, whoever is free of sin, cast the first stone. And no one could. 
Instead, they all, they all walked away. And Jesus said to this woman, no one is judging you, and I, just, I don't condemn you either. But before she walked away, she said to her, go and sin no more. He spoke truth, but he spoke truth with grace, with love, with gentleness. And so, yeah, we, we speak truth, but we speak truth in a tactful way. The, look, the book of Proverbs says this, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse four says this, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Look at verse 28, same chapter. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In other words, the wise person thinks before they speak. Man, I gotta tell you, I struggle with this. I'm a preacher. I'm wired to speak truth. And so when in conflict with other people, I wanna speak truth. But you know what I've learned the hard way? That sometimes you may have the truth, but if you don't deliver that truth with grace, if you don't do it in love, it's not gonna take you anywhere. That's why the Apostle Paul started this chapter saying, if you have the gift of prophecy, but you don't have love, it's basically worthless. But when you speak truth with grace, with gentleness, then it takes you much farther than we just, when we simply get into an argument with another person and disrespect each other. I heard a pastor said this once. He said this, when in disagreement, there are people who make a point and there are people who make a difference. And I don't know you, but I, I wanna make a difference in people's life. Because you can win an argument with somebody, but if you don't change the heart of the person, if the heart of the person doesn't change, what does that accomplish? So we have to be, uh, uh, learn how to be tactful. Another way to say this is that respect is disagreeing without being disagreeable. We live in an imperfect world because if we live in an imperfect world, we're not gonna see eye to eye with everybody. We should expect difference of opinions. We should expect disagreements. We should even expect some conflict and we should be prepared and the best way to respond to those disagreements is by being loving and being kind to other people, even to those that are disrespectful to us. I want you to see what Apostle Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse uh, 17 through 21, it says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, listen, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil, evil with good. He's saying, be kind even to those that hurt you, even to your enemy, be loving and be kind. And he says, if you do that, you're gonna uh, hit burning coals on their head. That means you're gonna make them go crazy. You're gonna think, why is this person being nice to me if I'm being a jerk to them? And that's gonna change the heart. You see, if you get into the argument with them, you go back and forth, it's not gonna get you where you want to go. It's not gonna accomplish what you want. You're gonna live in constant conflict with other people. 
And I, I know that when we hear this, we immediately say, hey, there, whoa, whoa, whoa. there are people that are disrespectful to me and I'm just supposed to be kind to them and be gentle with them? Is that what I'm supposed to do? I deserve some respect. I deserve to be treated right. That's probably what we're thinking right now. But see, it's all a matter of perspective. Because when you look at your life through the right lenses, then you realize that you might not deserve the respect that you and I, we think we deserve. And the right lenses is the lenses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what the message of the gospel says? That we were enemies of God. That we disobey him. That we sinned against him. That we rebelled against him. And we broke that relationship with him. And you know what he did? He disagreed without being disagreeable. He looked at our behavior and he said, that behavior is wrong and it's not good for you. But instead of sending down condemnation to us, he sent his precious son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that none of us could live. And then he died the horrible death that all of us deserve. And on that cross, he was humiliated. The son of God was completely disrespected so that he could pay for your sin and he could pay for my sin. So that we could have hope, so that we could have a life, so that we could have a future. And so when you look at your life through the right lenses, the lenses of the gospel, then you realize if I really got what I deserve, then I would receive condemnation away from God for eternity. But love says, I'm gonna give you what you need the most when you deserve it the least at great personal cost. And that's what God did for us. I see when you look at your own life from that perspective, then you're able to look at other people's life from the right perspective. And you realize that your mission is in life is not to win every argument, is not to show the world how right you are about mask or about vaccination or about whatever issue you wanna bring up, that your purpose in life is to share what you have received, the love and the grace of God, that we are here to love and lead others to Christ and that we have to do that with a patient and with a gentle spirit. That's what our call is. That's what we're called to do. And we don't do that by winning arguments. We don't do that by showing disrespect to other people. We do that by being kind. Look at what the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, says this, walking wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Look at what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the second part, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of your hope, that, or the hope that is in you. And yet, listen to this, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We have to be ready to speak about the good news of Christ with other people constantly. That's our mission, but we have to do that in a gentle way and with respect. And when people feel loved and when people feel respected and when people feel the love of God through us, then they are gonna want what we have in our hearts, which is the hope of Jesus Christ. 
See, the only way that we're going to do that is when we look at life through the lenses of the gospel. When we remember that God demonstrated his own love for us in that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And when we remember that, then we are able to see people the way God sees them. And we're able to see God do amazing things in and through us. About eight years ago, my wife and I received that phone call that changed our lives forever. We received a phone call from an adoption agency. And we were just kind of in the early stages of considering an adoption. We were praying about this and talking about this. But a friend of ours who knew we were praying and considering uh, uh, her uh, about this agency and something that was going on. And he gave our name to them. And this agency called us. And this lady from the agency said, listen, we heard that you're considering and praying uh, uh, about adoption. And, and he, this person, this lady said, Listen, we have a child that is going to be born in about two months. And this child desperately needs to be adopted. And in two months, the family that is willing to uh, take on this child has to do a ton of paperwork in record time. And they have to go through a ton of interviews in record time. And they have to raise the funds for the adoption in record time. It's not going to be easy. Two months is not enough time to do everything that we have to do. But this baby is going to be born and this baby needs to be adopted. And so we're just kind of hearing all this information, trying to process everything. And she continued, she said, there's one more thing I need to tell you. And she said, this baby is going to be born with a heart problem, a congenital heart disease called Tetralogy of Fallot, also known as the blue baby syndrome. And she explained to us what the blue baby syndrome is. And then she said, this baby is going to need open heart surgery before the baby is six months old. Then she said, and I want you to know, it might be one surgery, it might be 10 surgeries. We don't know. We know the baby has the problem. We don't know how severe it is. And we won't know until we open the heart of the baby. And so the family that is willing to adopt this child not only has to take on all the paperwork, they also have to take on all the financial responsibilities and the emotional uh, weight that comes with going in this journey of health for this little child. And after this lady explained all of this to us, then she asked the question, would you be willing to consider adopting this child? So all I could say was, would you please let us pray? And pray we did. My wife and I just prayed and asked God, God, what do you want us to do? And we were brutally honest with God. And we brought all of our fears to the Lord and all of our questions to the Lord. And we said, God, she has a heart problem, a heart condition, open heart surgery for a baby. We said, God, we don't know how many surgeries this baby's gonna need. We said, we don't have that kind of money in the bank. God, this two months is not enough time to go through this process. And fear after fear, question after question, we brought to the Lord. And finally, after a few days, the Lord spoke. And it wasn't an audible voice. We never heard the voice of God, but it was through scriptures and it was through circumstances. And God says, son, you had a problem way worse than that in your heart. You had a problem called sin. And the price that had to be paid so that you could be adopted as my child was greater than any sacrifice you'll ever make for this child. 
It was this, the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be rescued. You know why I did that? Because I created you with a plan and with a purpose. I gave you life because I had a plan and a purpose for you. And in the same way, I have a plan and a purpose for this little child. And I'm inviting you to be a part of this child's life and this child's journey. And after we heard from the Lord, all we could say was, okay, God, we'll step into it and we'll obey. God provided all the funds in record time. And God gave us the ability to do all the paperwork and interviews in record time. And we were there when this baby was born and my wife cut the umbilical cord and then we took this baby home for a few months and then when the baby was four months old, we had to trust this baby in the hands of a heart surgeon who was gonna operate on her heart. And by God's grace, that first surgery was a huge success. And up to this point, she had not needed any other surgery. She's now seven years old, and she's absolutely beautiful. And God uses her in mighty ways. And I believe God is going to use her in amazing ways in the future. And we're going to be able to see this. But in order for us to experience the power of God in her life, we had to be willing to see her through the lenses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe there are people in your neighborhood that need the hope of the gospel. And you have to see them through those lenses. And I believe there are people across the street here in the hotel across the highway who are refugees from Afghanistan who are waiting for us, this church, to step up and and see them the way God sees them and show them the respect that they desperately need right now. And I believe there are people across the world who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I have been given the funds and the resources and the gospel. And so we have everything that we need to take that gospel to people. But in order for us to step into in obedience, we have to view people the way we see them, the way God sees them. We have to view ourselves the way God sees us. And we have to view others the way God sees them. And when you do that, you're going to be able to experience the power of God in amazing ways. And I believe there are people here right now who are being called to do crazy, radical things for the kingdom of God. And God is saying it's time to step in, to view people the way I'm challenging you to view them. But it had to start with you saying, God, fix my heart. Would you please let me view people the way you want them to see them? Change the way I treat others. Teach me how to treat them with respect so they can see Christ in me and through me. And I also believe there are people here who cannot give what they do not have. Because you cannot give that kind of love until you have it. And some of you need to start in the right place. Some of you need to start by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ today. Because maybe today is the first time that you understood that you have a problem called sin and that Jesus is the only one that can fix it. And Jesus is saying, I'm willing, I'm ready, I already paid the price, but you have to trust me. And today is the opportunity that you have to give your heart to him so that he can begin to fix it, so that he can begin to transform you and make you the person that he created you to be.
if that's you, oh, you know, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. So if you are in the room, I want to encourage you to, at the end of the service, come to the Connect room, and we want to walk this journey with you. Please let us know that you want to surrender your life to Christ. If you're watching online, please talk to the chat host right now. Tell them that you want to surrender your life to Jesus, and they will gladly uh, walk you through the journey. Because that is the beginning of our hearts being where God wants us to be. Then after that, God can begin to transform us and change us, and we can be used for his glory. I want to pray for us and ask the Lord that he gives us the heart that we need so that we can fulfill the mission that we were called to fulfill. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are, the grace you've given us. Thankful that you saw us in our need, in our sin, and you didn't give us what we deserve. You gave us grace. You saw us as your precious creation and made a way so that we could be forgiven and rescued. We are so thankful for that. Because we're thankful, we ask you humbly that you would teach us to do the same for other people. That you would teach us how to love others so that they can see Christ in and through us. We love you. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.